0: Don't you hate when people start a sentence like they say? Okay, they say. Who's they? Well, they say if you want to launch a successful company, you can either invent something, create something, or you can totally disrupt something that already exists by making it so much better than anything else out there that the world has no choice but to go with yours. Dave Gilboa was about to begin graduate school at Wharton when he lost his eyeglasses on a backpacking trip. By the time he got to Wharton, which, by the way, is not cheap, he was so reluctant to spend the money on a new pair that he went the entire semester squinting and further strained his eyes. But there was one thing he could see very clearly a group of his classmates who felt like he did about wanting to start a business. So together, they came up with the idea of affordable yet still fashionable eyewear that people could peruse and buy online. However, just because they thought it was a good idea didn't mean that everybody else was like, oh, you guys rock, that's amazing, here, let me give you money to start it up. Okay, after bringing the concept to his professors and potential investors— most of them pretty much opposed the idea of purchasing a pair of eyeglasses online. So with no takers, what do you do, right? Each of the students cobbled together $30,000 a piece to give life to their idea, and in 2010, Warby Parker was born. Since then, the optical eyewear maker has revolutionized the way the world orders glasses. you got pop stars, Rihanna, actresses, Reese Witherspoon, Jessica Alba, and oh yes, and Liz Clayman. They're just a few of the names Warby Parker counts as fans. But what did it take to found, germinate, and then grow Warby Parker, which today has just over 200 brick-and-mortar stores as well as its hugely popular website? Warby Parker co-founder and CEO Dave Gilboa is here to tell us because, Dave— First of all, thanks for coming on. You and I go way back. We're both Cal Berkeley graduates, but, you know, I was there when you guys were first starting this, and I believe you came on the show. We were among the first business networks to interview you. Back then, you were tiny, and you're huge now.
1: Yeah, thanks, Liz. Uh, thanks for, for having me on. And and um, yeah, it's been fun staying in touch with uh, a, number of, a number of folks um, who um we've interacted with at various points in our journey and uh, yeah we're now 13 years old as a business half the time um you know we we feel like we're still working out of our apartments and kind of a scrappy startup growth mentality and and then half the time it feels like we're running a big company um but uh yeah it's been uh been a a fun and uh interesting journey over over the last 13 years
0: well, I would think fun, but also trying. And and that's what we love to talk about here on Everyone Talks to Liz is the climb. But, you know, I'm thinking right now you guys are publicly traded. You've got a billion-plus market cap. And it's very easy to look at Warby Parker. And I see them on the corner of 6th Avenue and 48th, 49th. They're everywhere. And I have them. And I think most people would look at that and say, oh, wow, that Warby Parker, it's huge. But it started off with just a single idea. Let's go back to that single idea and how you guys all came up with sort of creating it and making a gel as far as buying glasses online.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. So um, I've been working after uh, I graduated from Berkeley. Um, uh, nice to uh, to chat with another Cal alum. Go Bears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked in consulting and, and finance for, for a few years and then decided to go back to school and took the opportunity to uh, take a few months off and backpack around the world. And mm-hmm. so um, I handed in my company-issued phone, uh, which was a BlackBerry at the time, uh, on my last day of work. And I traveled for six months, living in hostels with no phone. Um, and along the way, i lost my only pair of glasses. And so I, I came back uh, to the States, about to start as a grad uh, student at Wharton. And I had to buy two things, a new phone and a new pair of glasses. And I went to the Apple store, the uh, iPhone 3G had just come out and I oh, paid $200 my. for this magical device that you know, did things that I uh, could never even uh, have, have imagined. Uh, and uh, then I realized I was going to have to pay $700 for a new pair of glasses and whoa, this whoa, is technology. Whoa.
0: So that much for the phone, but $700 for the glasses.
1: Yeah. yeah. And uh, right, I had this kind of supercomputer in my pocket. Um, uh, and meanwhile, the technology in a pair of glasses has been around for 800 years. Um, it just didn't make sense to me around why glasses were so expensive. Um, and so. Uh, Being kind of a a new student at Wharton, I started complaining to everyone who would listen to me, including all my new classmates, (laughs) um, about why glasses were so expensive and realized that there were a lot of other frustrated uh, glasses, consumers. Um, And coincidentally, um, the uh, the classes at Wharton, it's 850 people, um, are uh, divided into groups of six students each called learning teams, where you take all your first-year classes together. Um, and uh, Andy Hunt, uh, one of my learning team members, uh, he had lost his glasses so many times and he was buying, this was in 2008, um, he had started buying kind of all other uh, parts, products for, for parts of his life online, uh, including shoes on Zappos, uh, more and more products from Amazon, sure. um, using you know, sites like diapers.com uh, to buy household goods. Uh, but couldn't figure out why no one was effectively selling glasses online Um, and so um, yeah as part of our kind of mutual frustration at both the price point and lack of distribution innovation uh, we started diving into this massive category Uh, the majority of um, adults need glasses Um, so it's it's a huge market that really hasn't had much innovation on the product side or distribution side and uh, linked up with uh, two of our other friends and, and classmates, uh, Neil and, and Jeff, um, and really dove into uh, this market and and um, were kind of blown away by uh, the the, uh, the the size of the market, the margins, the low customer satisfaction, um, and so it just felt like there was an opportunity to. Um, approach this category in a different way, and uh, that it was there was this unique moment in time where you could leverage the power of the internet for the first time um, to build a brand to reach uh, consumers throughout the country and throughout the world mm-hmm. in a really capital efficient way, um, and be able to to sell glasses in a way that wasn't possible even a few years earlier.
0: But Dave, uh, it's a great idea. You just sold me. If I rewound the clock, and I'm thinking. Why are they so expensive? And yes, the eyeglass technology has been around for centuries. This is ridiculous. I love this idea. But you took it to people and uh, there are not a lot of takers or supporters. Let's talk about the no's. We always hear about the yeses of who gave people their shot. You had to deal with a lot of no's. Talk about some of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We thought that there was this really compelling opportunity and kind of started to put together a business plan about um, how we could build a brand, how we could sell glasses online, how we could dramatically uh, bring down the price by cutting out the unnecessary middlemen um, and uh, unnecessary markups and pass those savings back on to consumers and uh we thought we had a really good idea we put together a business plan we entered the Wharton business plan competition um and we didn't even make the finals oh. um and <laughs> we got we got a lot of feedback from the judges who were uh wharton alums um kind of really smart business people and they gave us a ton of you know really critical feedback around um uh you know how hard uh, this business was uh, was going to be to launch that we were Trying to do too many things at the same time. Build a brand, sell glasses online. We wanted to have a social mission uh, incorporated. Said, so, you know, "Why don't you just either be a brand and um, sell your glasses through existing channels, or be an online retailer and sell other brands?" What you're what you're doing is 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 too difficult. Um, and then we you know uh, kind of surveyed all our. Other uh Wharton classmates, we talked to every professor at at school and and um yeah, a lot of people um kind of poked holes and told us, well, if this is kind of a good idea, someone would have already done it um, oh, and,
0: wow let's uh, can I stop you right there? yeah when absolutely. people ask you today, what do I do when somebody tells me? if it were so great, somebody would have already done it and and it, they just get negative feedback in their face. What do you advise those would be entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, that it, it it's easy for, uh, it's much easier to be a critic uh, than uh, an innovator. Amen. And, um, you know, every big business, every uh, great organization. Every new product um, has started by um, someone thinking that uh, they they have a better solution than what uh, currently exists, and um, that um, you know shouldn't just ignore uh, ignore uh, negative feedback and and have um, kind of selection bias in in what you listen to uh, versus what what you don't. Um, but that it's it's much easier for people to poke holes in things than um kind of imagine a world looking different than than the one they're they're used to. Um and to be a great entrepreneur, to be a great uh, um, you know, founder, uh, you need to have that uh imagination and, yeah. and you need to be able to um you know change the your uh change the the future uh to much to look much more like your um, your vision and your imagination, then, um, other people, um, may be willing to, um, uh, to kind of make that leap.
0: Yeah. This is everyone talks to Liz and we will be right back. Well, as we continue with your path here, you got people saying, forget it. Somebody would have done it already if it were such a great idea. So you guys cobbled together capital. What was the first stumbling block you encountered when you started to put it all together? Because the original idea was to launch it online. And I I would imagine when word of mouth started to spread, you suddenly got kind of steamrolled by the demand and I always tell people you know you got to be ready you can't just say oh well you know we got this much inventory and we'll see what happens you have to be ready and it is a fine line that you must tightrope walk without ordering too much versus not having enough
1: yeah so uh I can I can say um uh, that we were absolutely not ready for for lunch um <laughs> uh we you know we we talked to a lot of people um who had started companies and they told us that you know just because you think this is a great idea doesn't mean that anyone else uh, does and um yeah these businesses take a really long time to generate awareness and build scale and so we really tempered our expectations and Uh, We kind of joked that if nothing else, my mom would buy a hundred pairs of glasses from us uh, to make (laughs) us feel, feel good about uh, kind of the, you know, the time that we've invested in this. Um, And we were, we were full-time students working out of our apartments. We didn't have any employees. We didn't have an office. Um, um, And as we were getting ready to launch, uh, we were able to secure uh, these great uh, launch placements in GQ and Vogue. um, And... Uh, we really underestimated the the power um, of those publications and the credibility um, uh, from being featured in in uh, great media sources like mm-hmm. that. And so um, we, had, you know, our website we were still working on it, still had a bunch of bugs in it. So we waited until four in the morning the night before GQ came out, um, and. Uh, launched our site, we didn't even tell our parents or our best friends that it's, the site was live, but we wanted um, uh, you know, our website to be up in case you know someone received that uh, you know, GQ in the mail or bought it on the newsstands. Um, they read about us and, and they wanted to go to the site and sure. uh, hopefully place an order. Um, and I was sitting in class the next day um, and I had my phone set up to uh, be receive a notification uh, every time we got an order. Um, and a few hours after we launched our site, uh, got, got that first buzz and got super excited yeah. and, uh, you yeah, uh, reached out to Neil, Jeff and Andy, my co-founders. Um, and then five minutes later, got another buzz and then another buzz and then another buzz. <laughs> um, and I was sitting there in class and, uh, all of a sudden started freaking out because I realized that we had taken more orders than we had inventory for, oh. um, even in kind of that first day and that we, we never contemplated having any sort of sold-out functionality or waitlist functionality on the site. Um, That was never a a feature that uh, we (laughs) thought we would need. Um, And all of a sudden, we were in this uh, place where we had to call an emergency meeting. Uh, We uh, were debating, do we take the website down? Uh, Do we just keep taking orders indefinitely? And while we're having this discussion, orders just keep pouring in. We had one uh, developer who was a contractor that we called. He was able to quickly put out some, um, sold out functionality, waitlist, and all of a sudden we had a waitlist of twenty thousand customers. It was just all hands on deck. Stop! Um, Were you
0: flipping out of your mind?
1: yeah I mean it was uh exhilarating and terrifying and uh, you know I'll, we had a full range of emotions and you know we grabbed you know any anyone we knew brothers, sisters uh mm-hmm. girlfriends, cousins, anyone that had a couple free hours that could help us process orders respond to customers. Fell asleep every night with a laptop on my chest, um, just responding to customer emails, trying to get back to as many people as possible. Well, I was imagine um,
0: they were unhappy if they couldn't get their order filled and I've, I've talked to a lot of very successful retail people who said like it can be almost a kiss of not death but certainly. Early early death or disease if you go on Oprah as one of the favorite things and you're not ready for the onslaught because people get upset, so did you do a lot of customer service where you'd call up and apologize I mean, how do you deal with that
1: yeah we felt um, we felt terrible that uh, these early uh, um, these early customers who were really taking a bet on on us as a brand, us as, as founders, um, that we were disappointing them because they tried to buy glasses and we told them it was going to be either weeks or months before uh, we had enough inventory that, um, uh, that we could send them their, uh, their, their product. And, um, so we ended up, um, the, between the four of us founders, we reached out to personally reached out to every single person on the wait list offered, uh, yeah, uh, you know, both an apology and just transparent, transparency into what was happening. We gave away, even though yeah, uh, you know, we hadn't raised any outside capital, and uh, we're trying to pour every dollar into getting new inventory uh, to service demand. Um, we were, you know, giving discounts. we were giving. People free glasses, uh, we just <laughs> wanted to make sure that you know, yeah. people understood how much we actually cared about them and um, and we found that it was you know the response was overwhelmingly positive that uh, people are not used to kind of hearing directly uh, from the, you know the people behind the brand um, uh, in a you know, genuine transparent way, and so we were able to turn some of those early kind of frustrated uh, uh, consumers mm-hmm. into some of our biggest uh, fans and and brand loyalists.
0: Let's talk about the manufacturing process. You know, it's a great idea, but it, getting the website up to speed, sure, that's that's certainly one challenge. But where did you figure out and how did you, I guess, manage the whole process of something that none of you had been experienced with? And that is outright manufacturing.
1: Yeah, so we um, we knew enough uh, uh, about what we what we didn't know um, uh, to ensure that we were surrounding ourselves by uh, folks with the right expertise that could help guide us through some of the more uh, complex parts of launching the business, including the supply chain and, and manufacturing. And so, uh, we were fortunate that um, through Neil's work at Vision Spring. Um, a lot of the board members um, on VisionSpring were notable folks uh, from the, the eyewear category, the, uh, many founders of some of the largest eyewear brands. Um, and so we were able to leverage some of those relationships for introductions to um, uh, you know, some of the highest quality uh, frame manufacturers and optical labs in, in the world. And, and that was hugely beneficial in um, ensuring that uh, we had access to the highest quality materials highest quality production lines um, and that helped us get off the ground and uh, then one of our first hires was someone with 20 years experience designing um, and developing um, eyeglass frames and um, over the years we've built a world-class manufacturing team now we have Uh, two optical labs, one in Slopesburg, New York, one in Las Vegas that Mm. uh, produce the majority of our products. Um, um, And so we've uh, kind of focused on bringing a lot of that uh, manufacturing and logistics expertise in-house so that we can control uh, the speed and the quality of um, our production and and ensure that um, it's our team that kind of handles the the product and does the final quality inspection before it goes out to uh, our end customers.
0: This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. You're so huge now. When I say you, I mean the Warby Parker brand. Everybody knows it. I don't think everybody knows from whence the name came. Tell us about the genesis of the name Warby Parker.
1: Yeah, we joke that kind of out of all the things we had to do, launch the business from figuring out how to build a website to uh, figuring out how to design uh um, eyeglass frames to managing prescriptions. That The, the <laughs> hardest thing uh, for us was was coming up with a name that um, all four <laughs> founders liked, and uh, we went through. I think we still have our spreadsheet of over two thousand names that, um, you know, every every day, uh, you know, our friends and family members and classmates. I think they got just annoyed uh, uh, being around us because. <laughs> Uh, yeah Every. what do you think of this hour, what do you think you of
0: know, that yeah. one what do you think of this
1: it, it, exactly we'd send out surveys we'd uh yeah kind of turn everyone into um yeah you know, a live focus group um <laughs> and you know we we really um you know at the at the time there were some sites that were selling glasses online but they had names like glasses.com and goggles for you.com and, uh, we wanted to, we wanted our name to connote the fact that we were launching a fashion brand, um, that, um, you know, glasses are one of the only items that people wear on their face. And, uh, even though we were offering great value, we wanted people to really, uh, feel like they were buying a high quality product, Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was thoughtfully designed and Want our name to reflect that. Um, we didn't want to name it after ourselves. We you know, didn't think that Gilboa Blumenthal really <laughs> rolled off the tongue. Uh, uh, um, but we you know, kept coming back to authors or artists um, whose ideals um, reflected the the type of brand that uh, that we wanted to build. And spent a lot of time talking about the Beat Generation writers. Um, and coincidentally, uh, kind of six months into our search for a name. Uh, The New York Public Library had an exhibit on Jack Kerouac's private journals. And so I went to the exhibit and he would written about these characters uh, in his his notebooks that never made it into any of his published works, Mm. including um, a lot of characters with really uh, kind of interesting, unique names. And there were two that uh, kind of jumped out at at me. Uh, One was Warby Pepper and the other was Zag Parker um and kind of loved those names brought them back to the other guys uh they loved them as well and uh, we just, uh, decided to combine the two and and make it our own uh with Warby Parker and uh you know it was also uh helpful that um you know we could buy the the URL uh for 9 dollars um <laughs> cuz nobody on, on had GoDaddy. that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and uh yeah trademark the name and and make it our own
0: i did not know that. I know a lot about you guys. That I didn't know. I, I, I'm going back into that classroom the first day that your site really kind of went live and the GQ magazine uh, triggered this flurry, this downpour of orders. At any point during the chaos of the next 24 to 48 hours, did you ever think to run up to any of the people who had dissed your idea to say, yeah, I'm a little busy right now, told you so, it's working.
1: <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think we were, it was just all hands on deck trying to trying to help our customers at that point. But You're nicer no than I am. That, I
0: would have been yeah. like, um, excuse me, by the way, just so you know,
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but, it
0: sounds like you were off and running. You know what I find interesting is that you began as an e-commerce site, online only, and today you have hundreds of retail stores. What made you do the reverse of what a lot of companies have done, which is start as retail and then start an online business?
1: So we've always thought of ourselves as a brand first, and we really exist to offer great products to customers. And um, we launched by selling exclusively online because it was the most capital efficient way for us to build a brand and for us to be able to sell our products, um, to, uh, the entire country. Uh, we bootstrapped the business. We were working out of our apartments, no landlord in the right mind would have, um, signed a lease, uh, uh, yeah given the the state of our operation and the state of our balance sheet right. um, and even if we opened you know one store in Philadelphia where we we're at the time uh, we would have had you know pretty limited radius of customers that we could engage with um, and thought that there was this really interesting opportunity uh, to to scale and and build a brand online and and glasses are a Hard product to to sell online. Um because oh,
0: people want to try them out and they want to try it, four different pairs, et cetera.
1: Exactly. But we um, once we got kind of our sample uh, samples of initial frames, anyone that tried them on, uh, they immediately said that they, they'd love to buy a pair, and especially if they were ninety five dollars including prescription lenses. So we said, well, how do we just get as many glasses on people's faces as possible and came up with this idea of our home try-on program where we would just send people frames for free, include uh, free shipping and free return shipping um, and really de-risk the purchase process as much as possible. And um, we knew that was going to cost us money, but we thought it was a really interesting idea that would enable us to to scale and and get off the ground quickly. and, And it did help us do that. Um, but we, we also found is that there was, yeah, just more demand than we could keep up with. And so we immediately stocked out of all our home try-ons and, um, and shortly thereafter, we started getting customers reaching out to us saying, Hey, I tried to order, a home try-on. There's this massive waiting list. Can I come to your store or your office oh. uh, to to try on glasses? And we said, well, the store is my store, and office is my apartment. But come on over. And we had <laughs> yes, yeah, strangers coming into our apartments. We laid out the glasses on our dining room tables, and uh, we found that people loved the experience. They loved getting to meet the people behind the brand, and we found that we learned so much from those face-to-face interactions. Um, that when we graduated and, and moved to New York, uh, we had an office uh, by Union Square. It was on the sixth floor of a commercial building. Uh, we said, why don't we dedicate a couple hundred square feet of this to a customer showroom where we basically just had a couple of West Elm tables. Mm. We had some computers open to our e-commerce uh, just website. So check uh, checkout, you had to go through kind of the full you know, e-com checkout. Uh, but all of a sudden, we had hundreds of people a day uh, coming into our office to try on those glasses and, and buy glasses. And it was generating millions of dollars a year in, in sales. Um, and then that gave us the confidence to open up some pop-up shops. We bought an old yellow school bus that we gutted the uh, the interior and turned that into a store and had oh, a bunch cool. of our team members just drive around the country wherever they parked. Uh, that was where, where our store was for the day. Um, and oh, we found cool. that kind of yeah, anytime we had a physical location for for people to walk into, um, that we drove a lot of sales, we generated awareness, and we generated a lot of learnings. And so then that gave us the confidence to sign our first lease uh, for a store in Soho. That did really well. That was in 2013. Uh, The next year, we opened a couple more stores. And every year, we've opened more and more stores. Last year, we opened 40 stores. We now have over 200. And we see a clear path to opening uh several hundred stores over the next few oh, years
0: that is and
1: um, and it really gives us you know, the opportunity to engage with you know uh a, a much larger percentage of the uh, the population we still our e commerce business is still growing quickly, uh, but there are some consumers who um, you yeah, know don 't still don 't feel comfortable buying glasses online, others even if they have that option um, if there 's a store m- nearby, they prefer that um, and it also enables us to have eye doctors in our store where we can offer uh, exams in all our new stores we uh, have opticians that can do adjustments, and so um, it enables us to serve customers in in um, a more comprehensive way than we can uh, by purely engaging online.
0: Well, before I ask you the final question, I do just want to share this. When my daughter was about 19, 18, 19, she realized she needed prescription glasses and she said, mom, I found the pair I want Chanel $800. What, <laughs> what? I said, excuse me, go over to Warby Parker. And sure enough, she found something that she liked better and I was so relieved so my thanks to you because $95 plus the prescription was just phenomenal but as we finish I Dave you know is there anything that you wish you knew then when you were starting out the company that you know
1: now um, yeah <laughs> uh, lots and, and, and lots of things mm-hmm. um, you know I um, the, the one area that has, um, you know, really continues to be, uh, you know, a source of, of, real differentiation, um, for us in attracting and retaining some of the, uh, kind of world's best talent is the fact that we have a social mission that's kind of so deeply ingrained into to everything we do as, as a business. So, um, ever since, uh, the first day that we launched, um, we've had our buy a pair, give a pair in program in sure. place where sure. for every pair of glasses we sell, we distribute a pair to someone in need uh, through that program. We've now uh, distributed more than 10 million pairs of glasses wow. to our, uh, through our nonprofit partners. And um, we found that, you know, it's not something that we really lead with. Uh, you know, if you walk into one of our stores, we don't really have a lot of you know, signage or a lot of messaging around it. It's not right. something that's super prominent on our website, but it's something that um, our team cares in. Uh, uh greatly about and, and it's um you know a true competitive advantage in our ability to uh, recruit and and retain um, most talented huh. people in the world across disciplines from um, optometrists and opticians to uh, engineers to um, you know, supply chain uh, experts to uh our our eyewear designers and and so um you know i think we underappreciated how you know something that was important to us as founders and something that we wanted to build into the kind of the fabric of the company as a result uh, but i don't think we appreciated how impactful that was going to be huh. um, in our ability to attract uh, an incredible team um, which is you know really uh the the, the foundation uh that uh the, the the rest of the company is built upon
0: That's really important because everybody just thinks it's about the almighty sales, revenue, dollars. And if you do good, it will do well for your company. I feel like that's your message. Dave, it is great to have you on to hear the story about Warby Parker. What a great story. And I so wanted to bring this to our listeners because they just eat this stuff up. Thank you so much. And good luck as as you launch hundreds of other stores in the future.
1: Great. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me on.
0: You got it. Dave Gilboa, co-founder of Warby Parker. See, you guys. Well, see, I can see clearly now, and I hope you can too, what it takes to come up with these ideas and especially what it takes to absorb and then maybe even reject the negative feedback around you that some people may throw at you. Okay? Just keep going one foot in front of the other and never say die. I'm so glad you're tuning in once again. And as always, I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claim and Countdown. Have a great day. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.